<laughs> oh. I hear your, I feel your pain, you know. I hear you loud and clear. Do you hear me? All right, it's time. It is time. Chapter 7. It's a very biblical number. Don't turn the heat on yet. Leave the windows open. You'll sleep better. Be healthier. Just remember, Marshall's, Marshall's thermostat is always set on 58 all winter long. 56. <laughs> I know why he grew a beard, just to try to keep his face warm. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you for the day, Lord. Privileged to be together and under your word. And we want to do that. We want to come under your word. All of us need to change. All of us need a better understanding of who you are, what you've done, what you have to say to us. We come to the topic of wisdom today. We're all on that path. And we thank you for um, the chapter we're going to look at and the work of the Spirit of God to bring it to bear upon our hearts. So you be pleased, you be pleased with the day, with our response to you, and, and in the next hour, the, the worship that we're able to give and the new song and, and, and the privilege of being together as your people. And thank you for your providence in your world, even as we talked about as elders this morning, Lord. You haven't left your throne for a second, and you reign supreme, and you have a plan, and we know of that plan in your word, where things are heading, and we thank you for the knowledge and security that we have in Christ, and uh, being in, your, in, in, in you, and, and thank you for that. Bless our time now, and I pray this in the name of our Savior, our Lord, uh, the King Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be all glory, we say this. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, if you have a Bible, maybe a little bit like mine, you look at chapter 7, and you can tell um, it's showing you that there's a little bit of a change in style here. Do you know what I'm saying? If you have a typical uh, kind of a study Bible, maybe it doesn't show it, but it, it might look in your Bible a bit like if you went back to the book of Proverbs, the way it's set up, you know. The, the cadence and the, and, and the approach here. And that's, that's what we have in the better part of chapter 7 and that we're, we're coming to uh, today. And we're going to see that it, it's like the Proverbs. In one word, the focus of Proverbs starts with a W, is what? Is, is wisdom, isn't it? Is the wisdom of God. And we have the same kind of emphasis in these verses as now Solomon's continuing to talk about life, but now he comes to these incredible uh, statements about the wisdom that we have uh, from God and, and, and living his particular way. Uh, just glance with me at verse, um, at verse 11, at 7-11. 7-11, wisdom 
along with an inheritance. I just want you to notice, he's just mentioning wisdom here. Verse 12, he mentions it again, hakma. And we're, we're after that uh, as, a, as a people. And so that is our, our theme from, from the text. And it carries right over from the book of Proverbs. And it's more than, God's wisdom is more than just, well, maybe we can, we can handle life a little bit better. No. Wisdom is life. Wisdom is your life. And I wanted to just read that in the book of Proverbs 4, 10 through 13 to remind us of that this morning. It's on the overhead, but I just want you to notice how the writer in the book of Proverbs, Solomon again, is just emphasizing this. This is, this is your hope of life. Hear my son, accept my sayings, and the years of your life, of your life will be many. I've directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your what? This is your life. This is about your life. So that's what we have with reference in uh, chapter 7 through the kinds of, of similar pithy that's Proverbs are what is called pithy. We don't use that word much, but if you'd look it up in Webster's Dictionary, and don't do it right now, but if you did look it up in Webster's Dictionary, you'd find that it has to do with, uh, with, with substance and depth of meaning. And that is the Proverbs. You catch it, boy, yes, but you can dwell on it and see the re- reality of it and how it's so true in so many ways in life of the wisdom that we are given in the Word of God. Aren't we thankful for it? Amen? I also thought it would be good to remind us likewise, and maybe just put up the admonition, that's why I'm on this likewise. Psalm 90, verse 12. I mean, we're not just talking about Proverbs here. We're talking about the Word of God. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you, Lord, a heart of wisdom. And when we think about this with reference to our own lives even as parents, we, we have to remember, and we want, we want that for our children. We want our children, and the Proverbs and the wisdom path in the book of Proverbs is so clear. It's the T, it's when, it's when the, not a T, but a Y in the road. And it's one way or the other that we're going to go. It's, it's God's way or it's man's way presented in the book of Proverbs. And when we think about parenting, and I think we often ought to when we talk about uh, the reality of, of wisdom and the wisdom that we find in the Word of God. We have to remember that we can impart what we don't possess. So we're on that path ourselves and just growing in our understanding and application of God's truth because a wisdom is not just taught by precept but caught by our example as well as parents. So what we want to see uh, our children grasping hold of. It starts with the relationship with him. We understand that. But what we want to see in their lives, we have to be continually cultivating in our own lives. One other thing that I want us to remember before we come to the text and with this particular theme, and that is this, that when we're in doubt as to what wisdom looks like in a life, who do we look at? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the very personification, Colossians chapter 2, we won't go there, but he is the very embodiment of all wisdom. 
So in this path, we know part of this is we want to become more like our Savior, who is our example in all things. And if we're not getting that in chapter 13 of the book of the Gospel of John, then we haven't been listening. Amen? How he is our example in every every aspect of life. So let's just take a moment. What are we talking about wisdom? When we talk about wisdom, we're talking about living skillfully. That's what often comes up if you read the idea of hakma. It's skillful living. I watched one of our grandsons play some football yesterday. There's just playing football, and then there's being skilled at your, at your position and what you do. And wisdom is skillful living based upon what? Based upon understanding of God's way, and where we find God's way is we find it in God's truth and in, and in his word. And then that skillful living based upon truth that is being, being assimilated into our lives relates to our making right choices and our children and our grandchildren making right choices and avoiding the disaster of the foolish, wasted life. And it's there in the fool. And it's there in your pride. You think you know all things. Boy, how much we know when we're younger and how much we, less we know as we get older, of knowing what, all that we have to know. Amen? There is a way which seems right to a man. What? The end thereof is death. Now that's strong, isn't it? God's way or the way of the way of the fool. Now, so where does where does this wisdom begin? And I want to just I want to take the liberty to ask some of the kids that were in the Proverbs class with me, but I won't do that with you because you you know this already. Where does this wisdom begin? Proverbs 1:7 says, "The fear of the is the what? Beginning." So wisdom begins with the knowledge of God, a relationship with God that leads to devotion of God that is seen in obedience in our life and our commitment to his truth. You got it? You just know about him, know his word, implementing that word. Uh, uh, I love the way Bridges says it, and I'm, I'm kind of ad- adapting that, Jerry Bridges, that, that the fear of God is always evident in life in devotion to God. And when we, get, when we talk about devotion to God, we're talking about following his word and seeking to live obedience to him. And what does that wisdom grant us then? It grants us an ability to discern and to choose what is not only right versus what is wrong. But what we're going to see in chapter 7 of Proverbs, well, look with me at this word that pops up. Chapter 7, verse 1, good name is better than a good ointment. And, notice that word better, and the day of one's life is better, the day of one's birth. Look at verse 2, better. Uh, again, down in verse, verse 5, it is better. God's way is better. God's way is best. There's good, but there's best. And it has to do with his, with his way, with his truth, uh, with going his route. So, we have a quote here from Atkins, uh, Father, Son, just concerning this whole idea. He says, God is designed for everything in creation, and the wisdom literature, which we're in, calls living according to that design wisdom. God made the world to work a certain way, and you should live your life in that way. You should walk in wisdom, 
because it will preserve your life. Living against God's design is foolishness because it threatens your life. Whereas living according to its wisdom because it leads to an abundant life. In fact, look at verse 12 with me. I'm bouncing ahead here, but look at how it states it in verse 12. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge or knowing or wisdom is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. So I'm driving home there just what he's doing in this particular uh, chapter with reference to, to gaining it. And uh, I'm so thankful that, that, that this section is in here in, in chapter 7. So let's do an outline of the chapter, okay? Wisdom is better, 1 through 12. He's going to tell us how. And then in verses 13 through verse 19, he's going to tell us what the wise consider about God. Look at verse 13 in your text with me, verse 13. Consider the work of God. That's where I'm picking up on that. What the wise consider about God in verse 13 and following. And then in the last section of the chapter, we won't get through it all this morning, but in the last, what the wise remember about man. And I'm picking that up and following in verse 20. And what do we know according to verse 20 about man? Look at verse 20 of chapter 7. What do we know about man? It says, indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never what? (laughs) That's what we know about man. That's what we know about ourselves, correct? So wisdom is better. What the wise consider about God, we will, Lord willing, just touch on that uh, this morning. So let's go right back to verse 1. But first, I want to ask you, I believe, a question. Yes. How may wisdom be like the curachrome and um, cod liver oil? Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, and run around outside and playing games and everything else, I'd get cut up or skinned up or something else. And I'd come in and I'd show my, my arm, you know, all skinned up here to my mom. And she'd say, first of all, we've got to clean that up. And then she'd get out this little bottle, bottle of, of Mercurochrome. We called it Mercurochrome. I don't know why, but we left the R out of it, whatever. And in that little bottle that was kind of dark and had a reddish tint to it, she would open that thing up, and, and it had an applicator, and she'd put that on, and we'd scream hallelujah, because that thing burned. And I would say, well, I hate that it's burning, and she would tell me what? That tells you it's working, and it's helping you, right? That was Mercurochrome. How is wisdom kind of like that? We're going to find out in this text. Anybody here have ever... Uh, had a good spoonful of cod liver oil? How many have ever had a sp- Oh, man, have you got an assignment this week. I just want you to pick some of that up. By the way, it's one of the most beneficial things to you um, in, in life. You re- just look it up and read about it. Not right now. But cod liver oil has tremendous benefits. You know, it's fish oil. You know the uh, story about the guy walking down the street with his friend and there's a line of cats coming behind him? And he says to his friend, apparently I'm overdoing the fish oil at this time. You know, you have to take a while on that one, I guess. But 
Cod liver oil, if you've ever tasted it. Somebody in here, just tell me, you've tasted cod liver oil. What's it like? If you've tasted it, you will never forget it because it is, ah. I can remember my first encounter with cod liver oil. I'm at a friend's house at at their farm. His name is Dave Smith, staying overnight with him at his farm. and, And we're talking and having fun one evening, and one of his brothers or sisters, I don't remember who it was, said to me, do you like candy? I said, of course. And they handed me this was a pretty good-sized piece of candy, kind of round and maybe liquidy in the inside. And I just popped that thing in my mouth and crushed it, and I just about, well, you try cod liver oil, okay, yourself. Now, why? What am I trying? Why am I wasting your time? No, I'm not trying to waste your time. But I want you to know this. There are things in life which hurt and are hard to swallow, but best for you. And we're going to see them in this text things that hurt, things that are hard and ordained by God that are good for us, but hard, hard for us. In fact, I saw a quiz. Everybody repeat after me. I love quizzes. Kind of lost you at the last word, didn't I? Got a little quiz for you from Solomon. Now, this is from Solomon, okay? You go ahead and answer it. And then I'm going to let, I will let Solomon grade you, true or false, true or false. I like laughter better than crying. I like weddings better than funerals. I like thinking of my birthday better than dying day, my dying day. I like compliments better than criticism. I like shortcuts better than the long way around. I like the good old days better than the way things are right now. Well, I want to tell you this. If you marked any of those true from Solomon's perspective, you get an F. Now, I understand you're being honest here, and you're saying, well, I I certainly like wedding cake more than a whatever. But what I'm pointing out to you is from Solomon's perspective. Well, Pastor, where are you going? How, how How do you get this stuff? Okay, verse 1. A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now, let's just start with the first part of this. It doesn't have anything to do with quiz, but we're going to see the second part of the verse does. We, we all know there's no substitute for integrity of life lived. A good name, you probably in your, in your Bible, if you have cross-references, It'll cross-reference to Proverbs 22.1, and I'm just going to get there quick and read it to you, okay? 22.1 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. So an honorable name, a, a good name. And when we parallel this over to the Christian life, we're talking about what? Having a good testimony being a good witness with our lives. And, and, and one's, one's death uh, upon good reputation, good testimony, um, as, as a believer, one's death can be a time of great honor and to that life and most of all glory to God in a life lived as a good witness uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah has a David Jeremiah has a 
statement about this that I think is profitable. There are two days in our lives when our name is prominent, the day we receive at birth and the day our name appears in the obituary column. What happens between those two determines whether our name is a lovely ointment uh, that the, the Hebrew word there is mentioned or a foul stench. Solomon was suggesting that if you die with a good name, you can no longer do anything to tarnish it. But on the day of your birth, you have an entire life before you, yet unwritten. In that respect, if you have a good reputation, the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Looking back on a life well-lived is better than looking forward to a life unlived. Ending a good life is better than beginning an unknown life. That was a profitable comment on that. So, good name is better than ointment. Day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth in the sense of one's life or one's testimony. But now he goes on and develops that a little bit more in verse 2. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Why? And the living takes it to heart. Deborah knows that whenever I have a funeral that I do not know um, the people, that I find it hard not to preach this particular verse. And the reason is because when the Lord gives you an opportunity for a funeral, I know there's obviously a distinction when it's somebody who's loved the Lord. I've got more to say about that next, next verse. But when it's not, we remember the fact that a funeral is not for the dead, it's for the living. And it's to be reminded that at a time when we're facing the reality of life, we're talking about what is the most real thing in all of life. And in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon keeps moving to that, keeps moving to that, and then he closes the very book by saying, prepare for it. And that, that's the point of it, because that's the end of every man. Uh, death is universal, amen? I mean, it's, it's a reality. So in that sense, now, I grew up, oftentimes, in our little town where you kind of knew everybody, when there was a funeral, family showed up. And I can remember my dad saying, you know, Son, clean up here, get ready, we're going to a funeral. And I remember going, I don't want to go to a funeral, Dad. I don't like that. And my dad saying, I don't care whether you like it or not. We're going. We're going. And I look back on that now and I see my dad. Now, my dad was not a believer at that time, but that was good. Because my dad was teaching, we have to be careful about this with reference to our children, how old they are, how much they can bear, and what they see, and so forth. But that's so much better than having your child sit at home, playing a video game, living in an unreal life. And what an opportunity is for parents to say, this is, this is reality here. And, and, of course, if it's a Christian funeral, we rejoice in the fact, well, verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter when a face is sad. A heart may be happy. Why is that? We will grieve the loss of that friend. We will rejoice the reality that person in our hearts is with the Lord, and we're kind of jealous of it. Amen? 
See the difference? But this is like cod liver oil. Who feels like going to a funeral? Especially when it's somebody. You don't know whether they know Christ or not. But it's better. Because he says it's better. And it's the end or the way of of every man. So at the proper time. Yeah. Proper time. With our children even. That is an opportunity likewise You know, everything is an opportunity with our children with reference to the gospel. There it is again. There it is again. My kids, when they were little, would say, Dad, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Well, you don't have to say anything. But somebody we know, give them a hug. Give them a hug. Okay? But let's not live in avoiding the most real thing in life. Well, I mentioned it, but let's just go there. Let's go over to chapter 12. And don't say hallelujah, he's finally ending this book. I am not. Okay? I am not. But look at chapter 12. Uh, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few and those who look through windows grow dim and the door and the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low and and one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of tares on the road and the almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags himself along and the caper berry, whatever that is, is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the Spirit will return to God who gave it Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. And then he gets to the end, verse 12, but beyond all this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. The excessive devotion of books is weary with the body. Then in conclusion, when all has been heard, fear God. Keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. There's his conclusion. But, verse 2, better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Nothing wrong with a party or a feast. We thank God for that. I think we have, I th- I think we have senior saints lunch today, do we not? Yeah. I'm all about it. I'm in, okay? Enjoy the feasting. But what is he saying in the passage, right? And the living take it, the living take it to heart. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Yeah. That word for laughter in verse 3, the Hebrew word conveys a different idea than typical laughter. It has the idea of scorn, or even one one, uh, Hebrew dictionary said the idea of of just kind of mockery, or we might call it laughing stock. The idea is is a joking about death. See, the, 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 the joining... You know, the, the saying, you know, oh, yeah, I ain't afraid to die. I'm, if I die, I'm, if I go to hell, I'll be playing cards with my buddies, you know, or something like that. 
Yeah, and you, you laugh about that. In fact, he describes that kind of laughter, verse 6, for the crackling of the thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool, and, and this too is futility. I think Wearsby describes that for us. Does he not? I have that in a... Um, no. Nope, I don't want to get there yet. thought I had a, a statement by Wearsby about this. Um, oh, yeah, he, he says... Uh, Something to the effect. Where do I have that? Hmm. Laughter, yeah, joking about. Uh, I can't find it. Okay, but verse three, he's saying you can be you can be hurting, mourning, at the same time with reference to joy in your heart. Sorrow is better for when a face is sad, a heart can be happy. And I already covered the example of that even when we say goodbye to somebody that's dear to us, but we're grateful for the fact that they knew the Lord and hopefully had a good a life that demonstrated that and we can rejoice with them concerning that. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools, there it is, is in the house of pleasure mind of the wise is in the house of mourning in that context because he's thinking seriously about the reality of of life. This verse tells us that life is limited by death. You won't go on your life won't go on forever, but death is not just a line you cross when your time is up. Death is an evangelist. He looks us in the eye and asks us to look him right back with a steady gaze and allow him to do his work in us. Death is a preacher with a very simple message. Death has an invitation for us. He wants to teach us that the day of our coming death can be a friend to us in advance. The very limitation that death introduces into our life can instruct us about life. Think of it as death helping hand. And if you, I know some of you are reading Living Life Backward by David Gibson. I think I just quoted him just now. That's the whole point of his book that throughout life, well, he says, knowing the end in mind shapes how we live our lives here and now. Living life backward means taking the one thing in our future that is certain and letting that inform our journey in the present. Hmm. Yeah. Serious, isn't it? Better to listen. Ah, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. So we take it seriously. Gives thought to the reality of eternity. There's a lot of, uh, a whole lot of application from the Titanic hmm. based on verse 4. Let me read it one more time. Let me read an illustration by Swindoll here. The mind of the wise in the house the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the mind of fools in the house of pleasure, taking the reality of eternity seriously. There's a true story that comes from the sinking of the Titanic. A frightened woman found her place in a, her place in a lifeboat that was about to be lowered into the raging North Atlantic. She suddenly thought of something that she needed, so she asked permission to return to her stateroom before they cast off. She was told she had three minutes or they would lower the boat without her. She ran across the deck that was already slanted at a dangerous angle. She raced through the gambling room with all the money that had been rolled to one side with the tilt of the ship. 
She came to her stateroom and quickly pushed aside all her diamonds and expensive bracelets and necklaces, and she reached to the shelf above her head and grabbed three small oranges. She quickly found her way back to the lifeboat and got in, got in, in time. Now, that seems incredible because 30 minutes earlier, she would not have chosen a crate of oranges even over the smallest diamond. But death had boarded the Titanic. One blast of its awful breath had a transformational value. Instantly, priceless things became worthless. Worthless things became priceless. And in that moment, she preferred three small oranges to a crate of diamonds. Facing death gives you that kind of wisdom. Hmm. Yeah. Well, verse 5. Here's some more cod liver oil. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. My, does Solomon have a lot to say about a rebuke being better. Hmm. In fact, just... Just turn back with me to the Proverbs and notice just a selective few. Start about chapter 6, if you would, with me. Proverbs chapter 6. Get Lucy up there for us, too. Proverbs 6, verse 23. 623. Oh, is that what I wanted? Hmm, Proverbs 6, 23. I'm sorry, I'm all over the map. To, yeah, it is. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Um, bounce over to chapter 13, verse 1. 13, verse 1. Uh, let's start at uh, yeah, 12. Stop at 12, verse 1. I wonder if the kids will remember this. Chapter 12, verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, what does your Bible say? It's stupid. <laughs> who hates reproof. Uh, yeah, let's move over to chapter 15. Chapter 15, 31 and 32. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. 17.10. A rebuke, and I'm just being selective here, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Sounds like a rebuke can be valuable, right? Well, maybe one more over in chapter 27. Let's move there. Just one more. Wow, goodness time. 27, verse 5. Yeah. 27, 5. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. And then verse 6. What's it say? Faithful are the... Wounds of a friend. Okay, back to Proverbs. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man 
Is it true most of us would rather be ruined by praise than helped by correction? Huh? Rebuke can be like cod liver oil. And yet the reality is the essence of the example of Christ and humility that we've been learning about John 13 is this. It is approachability with correctability. Approachability with correctability. A rebuke. Now I think many of us maybe are a little bit more like Lucy. Lucy, Charlie Brown's crabby friend who has advice for everyone, often dispenses for five cents at the neighborhood psychiatric booth. But she also plays left field on the baseball team. In one of the latest cartoons... Lucy makes a visit at the pitcher's mound, and she rakes Charlie Brown over the coals. She tells him his fastball is slow, his curveball is straight, and his changeup is a letdown. In conclusion, she yells at him, why don't you ever win one for a change? And she returns to her booth. (laughs) No, not yet. The batter then, who is Charlie, hits the next pitch in the air right to Lucy who makes no attempt to catch it. And when Charlie Brown asks her why she let it drop, she replies, I work strictly in advisory capacity. (laughs) Some of us are really good at advisory capacity. Amen? Anybody here feel like your spiritual gift is confrontation? It's true, though. It's true. It's better. It's better rebuke Hmm. to receive it than to give it. It's better to listen, rebuke of a wise man, than for one to listen to the song. Now, you know why this is so necessary? This is so necessary because what my wife often reminds me, I don't hear myself and I don't see myself. All I know is, from my perspective, I'm a pretty perfect guy. How about you? You know? But self-perception, remember, is as accurate as a carnival mirror. Correct? You need others. I'm telling you, this is true in the church. You need others who help you see how you look or even hear how you sound. And will you be uh, approachable to that um, and willing to be helped? Um, I can remember specifically in my life um, a brother who came to me very, very, very early in our marriage and rebuked me about the way that I was treating my wife. Now, the guy was single. Can you imagine my response to that? I said, buddy, you don't know anything about marriage. I didn't respond at all, but you know what? I look back upon that. What, number one, he was a good friend, and I know he cared about me, so he had my ear. And uh, number two, I look, he was right. 
he was right. And he cared enough about me to rebuke me, to call that um, to my attention. But I'm here to tell you, I didn't like it at the time. And other times yet in my life, right to this day, when someone loves me enough to correct me, I want grace to be humble and to receive it. Now, don't line up after this hour, okay? I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? We well, all say it's true. It's true. Everybody say it's true, isn't it? It's true. Boy, it's true in our marriages, is it not? Okay. For as the crackling of thorns bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. Uh, my, I thought I had a good statement about Wearsby concerning that, and I totally lost it somewhere. Maybe it's on the overhead this morning. Ah, wisdom is like a shelter to those who obey it. It gives greater protection than money itself. Well, that's later on. Let's look at verse, verse uh, 7, 4. And oftentimes, 7 through 9 is kind of linked together. So let me read those together. I'm, I'm way behind the eight ball. For oppression is like a wise man. For oppression makes a wise man mad. And a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patient of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be anger, angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Now back to verse 7, oppression. And we've already covered that more than once. He talks about the reality of that in this world. And a wise man doesn't like that. That, that, he, he, that is, makes him angry to see that. But at the same time, we have counsel here about a bribe corrupting a heart. Wisdom resists a bride. In, a, a bribe, excuse me. And in verse 8... When he's talking about the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And he compounds that with the reality of patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. And oftentimes in shortcuts, we learn that we should have taken our time the right way to get this done. Patience is a virtue. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. Anger, verse 9, obviously, do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for angry resides in the bosom of a fool. He gets angry because he wants his way. Because of his pride, he thinks his way is always right. Getting angry about things is a dangerous thing for us. We ought to be upset about, we talked about that yesterday, we hate, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We get that. There's righteous anger that really, righteous anger is an anger that's given to us to do the right thing respond to life the right way rather than to react at people. But the wisdom of this is just, we could spend next two weeks in those three verses. I have, Deborah and I have such a, I'm going to close with this. Um, we have such a vivid, vivid memory of a situation about somebody being told to be patient. We are in Florida visiting my sister and we're going to this particular event, and we're lined up as cars to enter this particular event. And it was an overnight somewhere, to, so everybody had luggage. So we're, we're behind this car that's a big, long, black something. I don't know what it was, Lincoln or whatever. And there's a guy all dressed up in the uniform there, you know, keeping the, keeping the traffic moving. And he's, he's yelling, keep moving. No, you don't, not your luggage here. Go park your car. Keep moving. Keep moving. And, and that car stops, and he's yelling, no, no, you've got to keep moving, you've got to keep moving. And out of the back of the car gets out a tiny, tiny little gal 
little older gal, and she gets out real slow. And she, he, he opens the door for her, but she gets out, and remember this, Deborah? And she reaches back in. She's got a little item there that she's going. And he's, the guy's at the same time going, go, go, go. You no, know, you can't stop here. I've got to park the car. i got to park the car. You know? And she's just ignoring him, and she puts the little item down and where she's going to walk there. And then she goes back to the car. She grabs another, just real slow, bring it out and, and setting it down. And then he's still screaming, and then she walks over the guy, and she goes like this, because, you know, she's half his size. And she goes up, and she, she puts her finger up like this, and she said, we, we had rolled down the windows, we want to hear this one. And she said, young man, have you not learned that patience is a virtue? <laughs> I don't think he had learned yet that patience was a virtue. Have you? Whoa, are you a patient person? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We always land there, don't we? Do we not? Such wisdom here for us. Much of this, though, in life. Oh, my. Verse 13, consider the work of God who is able to straighten what he has been. I want to come back to that next week. But I want you to know, just read on. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. And we talked to some of the other today that's hard. There are people going through hard things in our church family right now, hard things. But God is good. The long quote for you concerning that next week. God is good and God is all wise and God does best for those that are his. And nobody loves us more than our heavenly father and what he's doing. And he's proven that in the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for the word, for the wisdom of life that is seen in the Proverbs. All of that begins with Christ. All of that begins with a surrender to your perfect will in our lives and providence day to day. You've ordained it. We realize we're responsible for our choices and and we can make foolish choices and suffer the consequences of it. My heart's for our young people today just hearing this. But you've given us direction in your word and sufficient for us. And you have a way of honoring and blessing when we choose to please you and to do what is right to your glory and to have a a good name. Do I pray for all here this morning that we, we would seek to have that good name that comes by a new life in Christ and seeks to live in accord with your word and do what is pleasing to you for your glory, not ours for your glory. We pray this together in Christ's name, because that's our prayer. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.